Welcome to the Choosing to Stay podcast. We're your hosts, Hallie Roderick and Stephanie Hamby, certified relationship and recovery coaches. We specialize in supporting couples who are healing from infidelity and betrayal. We invite you to join us each week as we explore the challenges and joys of the recovery journey for couples who are choosing to stay in a relationship after betrayal. We'll encourage you with hope for healing and transformation. Connection, empathy, growth, choosing to stay. Thank you for joining us today on this episode of the Choosing to Stay podcast. And we are so excited to welcome back our guest, Ashley Lovett, who is a coaching colleague, or she's a therapist actually, but she's a professional colleague of ours. And she's been a guest on our podcast before. I think it's like episode 15 or 16. We talked about boundaries for couples, one of our most popular episodes. So if you haven't heard that one, go back to hear more from Ashley. But today we're going to be talking about another important topic And the specific reason why we invited Ashley to join us again is because what we're talking about today is when you're thrust into this unknown territory of betrayal that most people are not expecting to be part of, they don't know how to handle it. And the people around them might not understand what their behaviors are meaning and how to interpret that or how to be a support for them and kind of stay out of the way of their work, but yet show up and be a support in a way that can be helpful. So welcome, Ashley. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to come. Thank you. I was honored to be on last time and I'm just excited to be back. Yeah, we're excited. And I didn't finish my thought on that, but the reason why we invited Ashley is because Ashley and her mom together teach a class called Bystander Basics. And bystander referring to those on the outside of the relationship looking in and watching the dynamic and and observing and maybe trying to be supportive of it. But we just want to give some understanding a little bit about what it's like for the the couple who is going through betrayal to interact with their outside world in this new reality that they're living in. And so I think one of the first things that we should kind of just clarify, and I guess our, our hope for this episode is that Maybe this becomes an episode that you can share with your loved ones who are you're hoping will be a support to you, or if you happen upon this and you are one of those loved ones, that you can get some ideas of what is helpful, maybe what isn't helpful, and how you can best show up in this in this relationship dynamic that you have with the couple who is either if it's maybe one one party or the other in a couple who's going through betrayal. So I think we maybe should lay the foundation of what happens when betrayal is all of a sudden found in the middle of your life. And our audience is couples. So I think the experience for the one who has done the betraying is different than the one who is the betrayed partner. So let's speak to that a little bit. Ashley, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I one time heard betrayal trauma explained like, you're walking around in your reality and you're just living life. And then something comes and picks you up out of that reality and drops you in a different one. And it just changes everything for you. So as the betrayed partner in the couple, your whole, everything has shifted. Nothing looks the same anymore because one of your foundational understandings of what you were experiencing turns out wasn't accurate. And trying to reconcile this incongruence between what you thought you were experiencing and what it turns out you were actually experiencing shifts your entire perspective. Yeah, you now see the world through this lens of betrayal where everything that you thought you could trust to be true and real 
all of a sudden you can't. And that yeah. extends beyond the marital relationship most yeah. of the time. Like it shatters your own foundation of self-trust in a lot of cases. And then if the person you thought you could trust the most, your spouse, is not trustworthy, then that brings into question everything and everybody else around you. Can I trust my sisters? Can I trust my best friend? Can I trust my parents? I don't know if I can trust my ecclesiastical leaders or my coworkers or like everything becomes, I don't know, you kind of almost see this, the world through the lens of, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? And you have significant evidence to suggest that maybe you're not because everything, everything is now different. You're in a whole new world, but you didn't do anything to choose it. And so it really shatters your foundation, your understanding of what trust is and how to function in this new world that doesn't maybe work with trust. Yeah, it almost feels for some like they've lost control of anything in their life, like they've lost the ability to control anything in their surroundings, like everything feels out of reach and out of control. And so they start to like grasp for anything they can have control of, which can be confusing to people on the outside. So Stephanie, what would you add to that? This is really good. I think you guys got it all in there Um, and just how it shatters the worldview. And I think this is really important with what we are talking about today and that trust of being able to reach out to maybe a support system, even in their inner circle, really close family and friends and those people that were really close to them prior to this discovery and the immense amount of um, fear that comes with that of like, I need the support, but there's so much fear. So that, that was my thoughts on that. And then I was also thinking about the one who has acted out and the first stage of recovery and healing is denial. So usually in this phase, they are still in very much denial of what, although they've known the truth, it coming to light like this, there is a huge part of denial. So there is just so much at play here for both. Yeah. And when they've been living this life or this life of deception for so long, and all of a sudden it's out into the light that changes everything, hopefully eventually in a positive trajectory for them, that things can be brought out into the light, but not always. And, and, and that's one thing I want to just be clear on too, is everybody's story and situation is so different. So we're going to attempt to talk in generalities today because there's so many different complexities in everybody's story. And I think the foundational piece though, is that safety, like when the safety and the reality has been ripped out from under you, especially particularly a betrayed partner is looking for any sort of safety. And so I think if, if, someone, a betrayed partner has reached out to someone in their inner circle for support. That's an important thing to remember is they're looking for safety. And what does safety look like? What is safety? If someone's reaching out to you, what is safety? Because what you think might be safe actually might not feel safe to someone who now sees the world through this lens of fear and, and distrust. Yeah. The Statistics show that 70% of betrayed partners who are female experience enough symptoms that they could be classified as as dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. You can clinically diagnose them with that. And Mm -hmm. so it's not even just necessarily a lens of fear and distrust. 
it's their entire body, their physiology, the way that their body is tensing versus relaxing, everything about them now feels like they are in this dangerous world. Mm-hmm. And so if you are, if you're on the outside looking in, you don't know that they've been picked up out of one reality and dropped into another reality. Even, even if somehow the fact that there's some betrayal happening in the marriage is public enough that you want, that you know that logically, you don't know what it feels like to experience that. And so watching from the outside of someone with PTSD, their behaviors might not make any sense because your reality just doesn't encompass this idea that the world around them is no longer safe. You can't personally understand that. You're just watching someone experience that. Mm-hmm. I think too, as you're talking, Ashley, I'm just envisioning some of the behaviors that a betrayed partner might display that might be confusing to the outside. And I think of things like, um, I'd love to hear what you guys think of, but I think of things like maybe not coming to family functions or social functionings, all of a sudden kind of withdrawing and, and maybe not reaching out, maybe not being their normal if they're typically happy. Maybe they're not that. Maybe having less patience maybe being reactive, short, you know, with their words. Uh, I don't know. They might sink into a depression or, you know, they, they may just have behaviors that are totally out of character for that person. And I don't know anything else that you think of that, like from the outside looking in might look like they're, that person is actually pushing them away when it's actually them trying to protect themselves. Something that I just thought about as you were mentioning that is like, this is what I think that someone would see is like an overcompensation. And I'll just say from my own experience, this is what I did. I would overcompensate for what was coming up inside of me to make me feel like I was being normal. As crazy as that sounds, I would like put on the mask, like everything's okay. I'm fine. Or these were the thoughts in my head. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Like just engage like you normally would. And because of the shame, I think the shame was so present and trying to understand your story and what's happening and, or with the overcompensation and isolation. So there may be these, they're really wanting to be close to me or they are completely isolating. Mm -hmm. I think too, is that such a good point when you're talking about the overcompensation and that from a betrayed partner's perspective is such a hard place to be because it's like, I have to put on my happy face. And go show up to the school function or church function or this family gathering. And because nobody knows what's really happening in my world. And I feel like I'm dying inside, but I have to go and pretend like everything's okay. And that's a really hard place to be. And it almost feels a little bit like you're betraying yourself. You know, it's like, man, I can't be me. I can't be real right now because I don't trust these people or these people don't know what's going on in my world. And if they did, what would they think or what would they do or what would that mean for me? And so that putting on that mask of everything's okay is a really hard place to be for a betrayed partner. And I would imagine for the, for the one who's done the betraying too, like all of a sudden their world is now different as well. And so they have to do the same as like, they don't have to, but it's often what happens is that they show up and try to pretend like everything's okay. There's nothing to see here, but just move on. And then inside your world is, you know, just falling apart. Yeah, absolutely. That, that presentation of everything's okay. And let me just wear this little mask. 
can feel so isolating. And when we don't feel like we can be real, when we don't feel like we can be authentic, we end up playing a role. And in general, people can feel if you're there to play a role or if you're there to, to connect. And so bystanders watching someone suddenly just not feel authentic, suddenly just not feel like I can connect with you. They might not have any understanding for why there's no connection. They might not have any understanding for, for why there's this weird distance because just one day there was distance. But what's going on is this person hasn't even figured out their own reality enough to know how to show up authentically, let alone let alone how to let someone into that really hard, scary space. Yeah. So then I start to think about, okay, if I were a bystander watching this, what would be helpful in those situations? And so I think as for support for the couple, if you notice these things start to happen, have this understanding that this is probably really hard. Let's say you have a family function, like a wedding, or maybe your family gets together every Sunday for dinner or whatever. And all of a sudden your daughter or your son decides they're not going to come or they come, but they're kind of off by themselves. I think some really helpful things in those situations would to be aware that this is going to be hard for them and call it out at the beginning and just say, you know, how are you doing? I can understand this might be a little bit hard for you. Is there anything I could do to support you through this function or this, this gathering? And do you need some space? And do you need to go for a walk? And let me watch your kids while you go take a minute and really giving them space to experience it in a supportive way, but acknowledging that those things that in the past might've been simple and easy, all of a sudden now might be really difficult just to show up to a family function. And they may not, they may choose to stay away because they simply can't face the showing up and feeling <clears throat> like they have to put on their mask again. And so being just supportive and aware that regular life, I mean, movement through regular life now is hard. Maybe getting yeah. out of bed is hard. Yeah. Minute by minute. It's kind of just, especially in early stages of trauma, getting through just minute by minute. And sometimes if that minute includes lots of people who are going to ask me how I'm doing, that minute's not going to be possible. Mm -hmm. And so giving them the space to just walk away if they need to without thinking it's because they hate you or something, I think can be a really good way to support just whatever you need. I'm not going to take offense to it. Yeah, that's so huge. Being careful not to make it about you and really watching the stories that you create in your mind about what, how you're interpreting their behaviors because you really don't understand it. And so really just being more curious about it rather than putting any sort of meaning, particularly about yourself to what you're seeing or what you're witnessing in their behaviors. I had a just, thought as you guys were talking about this, and I would say this is for really close support. So if the person has decided to share this information with you, you are a safe space for them. So it's so important for you to maybe learn some education on what the person is experiencing. So although we can't fully understand what that person's experience is, some education would help. And one of the things I was thinking of providing that empathy and say, Hey, I'll watch the kids so you can take a walk or um, go calm your nervous system, whatever it is, the betrayed partner is it is all consuming. So especially in the early stages, this experience is all consuming to their life. It's like the cycling of thoughts and 
intrusive thoughts and all this stuff that's coming up for them, it's really hard for them to see outside of that in those moments. So just simple education on what is this person experiencing could be so beneficial in giving just a tidbit of understanding of, wow, this is trauma response. Their responses are trauma. Absolutely. I was going to say that too, that my number one recommendation for bystanders is learn, 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 learn all you can understand what they're going through, understand the science behind it, take my course, whatever, learn. Mm -hmm. But with the caveat of you're learning for you, because if you understand what's going on, you'll have that ability to empathize. You'll have that understanding of, oh, she's not trying to be rude to me right now. This is her practicing how to set boundaries. Because when you're first learning that, it kind of goes a little chaotic, right? This is because if you learn for the intent of teaching her, you're putting yourself in this role that is not yours. You can't be her teacher. You can't be her savior. You can't be the one that says, oh, let me show you how to heal from this. It doesn't work. But your role is simply to understand as much as you can, learn as much as you can, talk to as many professionals as you can to understand what's happening there so that you have that foundation of understanding, not so that you can teach her. Mm -hmm. That's why I love that you teach this class because there's not that many resources for this audience of the bystanders, but there is a lot of resource, resources out there about betrayal, trauma and addiction and infidelity and things in general. But for the information for the bystanders and coming from that angle, there's not that much. And so I love that, that you have that course and we'll put the information for the show notes in the show notes for your upcoming course. And we're excited that you're teaching that again. I also think of when you said safe space, Stephanie, the first thing that came to my mind is remember that I love that you pointed out that the, the betrayed partner or the betrayers, this is hard for them to share. There's usually surrounded by a ton of shame. And so this is a really hard thing to share. And so many people don't share initially, like it's something that they've held on to privately, not always. This is where everybody's situation is different, but a lot of times they've waited months and maybe even years for some people. I have clients who haven't told anybody for years what's going on. Um, and so if they have come to you to tell you what's going on, this was probably not an easy thing for them to do. So remember that, that they do view you as a trusted person. And that means that they're telling you and they don't want you to go tell everybody else. They're trusting you with this information that is so, I would say, just so private and so sensitive to them that it's not your story to tell. It's not your job to then go inform the rest of the family what's happening in this son and daughter's life. It's not your job to tell them. That information is private. And if your daughter or son decides to tell the rest of the family, then that's their choice. But like if a child comes to you or if it's your sister that comes to you, that doesn't mean you should go tell mom and dad. Or if your cousin comes to tell or your friend, he or she has trusted you with that information and you should hold it safe to your heart and not run and tell everybody. Because if you do that, that's another betrayal. Then you've just added another betrayal. So this person who has deemed you to be one of the safe people in her now unsafe world has then betrayed her, him or her again, adding another layer of betrayal from a person who was supposed to have a primary attachment type thing, especially if it's a parent child or a really safe relationship like that. So safety means keep that information private for that person. And it's their story to tell, not yours. 
At the same time, I think we do a disservice if we assume that sharing my trauma and what I've experienced will not affect you, right? Yeah. That we have to recognize that the bystanders are affected, that yeah. it is it is hard for them too. They have this adjacent trauma that now they're sitting with and they're going to need to process through it. And so as a bystander, even asking the question, how do you feel if I talk to your father about this? How do you feel if I talk to your aunt about this? How do you feel... Who can I talk to that you feel comfortable with? Because the bystanders need to have someone to talk to about it. And they need to have, they need to have their own therapist that they're talking to about it. And then they also need to have their own support circle because as much as the betrayal trauma is your story, that compassion fatigue that comes along with being a bystander is their story. And they've got to be able to work through and process through that and find their own support system as well. And so just having a very candid conversation of I'm here to support you. I want to honor you. And I'm not going to just share your story with anyone, but I am going to need to talk about how I'm feeling. So here's some, here's some people that I would like to talk to about it. What are your thoughts and recognizing as the betrayed individual that they have a right to share how it's affecting them with someone. And it's going to feel really uncomfortable in the same way that when the betrayed partner needs to go share and get their support, the betrayer in the partnership often feels very uncomfortable with it, but we, we have to allow ourselves to get that support. And then as the bystander, being able to identify what's the difference between me trauma dumping and just spreading the gossip and me finding a safe person that I can process through and make sure that the bystander has a safe person that they can talk to, share with their own therapist that they can do some processing with. Yeah. I love that you pointed out that they should get their own therapist because that brings me to another kind of thought around the safety of it is that sometimes the advice that people on the outside give us in as well intended as it might seem or feel, it's not always helpful. And so that's where the education around what might be helpful would be good and getting some professional support to understand what is helpful. Cause some people might just say, well, well, you just need to forgive and you just need to move on. And that feels very minimizing to the experience that a betrayed partner is having. Stephanie, was it you that in the beginning we were talking about the advice? Why don't you talk about that a little bit about what the advice, if you feel inspired to give advice, what kind of advice is helpful? Yeah. And I was thinking recognizing, so Ashley, you touched on this a little bit, recognizing that when the the person is coming to you and sharing this information that they are processing so a lot of the things that are coming out of their mouths are like the thoughts that are in their head. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what next steps to take. And most often, always, <laughs> that is not a bid for your advice giving. Like they are just kind of, you are that safe space. So they, it's kind of, the thoughts are flowing out. So if they're like, I don't know what to do next. Like, what do you think I should do? Usually it's not a bid for advice. Most often. So what I was thinking of with that is like the best advice that you could give to a betrayed partner is to validate their intuition. Keep going back to, you know, what is best for yourself. Trust yourself, trust your gut, trust your intuition. Like, you know, what is best in this situation. And I'm here to support you in whatever decision that you make. I am here. I am your safe space. So the best advice, we don't know even as professionals, we don't know what is best for our clients. We're not living their situation. So 
you as a friend and as a bystander, you also don't know what is best for their life. So encouraging them to trust themselves, trust what's coming up for them. They know what's best. I'm here to support you in whatever decision you make. It's like, that is the most um, powering statement and thing that you can do whenever you're supporting someone because they need to hear that. They need to hear, oh, what I'm feeling is accurate. What I'm feeling is right. And I need to learn to trust myself again. That's where the healing begins. So you empowering that is huge, huge. Yeah, And this is where I think everything gets messy because I'm sitting there thinking like, as a parent, if your child comes to you with this, I mean, I'm a mama bear. Like instantly my mama bear goes protect, you know, yeah, Yeah, get big and protect. And at the same time, let's, let's say it's a daughter and a son-in-law. You probably love your son-in-law too. This is your daughter. And so all of a sudden you might want to say your first instinct might mean to go leave the bum, (laughs) you know, like you should leave. That is not okay. You can't treat my daughter that way. And That's not your choice to make. There's just so many complexities to it that really just honoring that maybe in this moment, she doesn't trust herself, but she's capable of it. And this is their life. And nobody really knows what you're going to do when you're thrown into this world. Well, you never really think you're going to get thrown into this world, but when you do, you always think, well, if that ever happened to me, I'd be out. But then when it, when it does, it's not that easy and that's not always the right thing. And so It's just so important to reinforce that. Trust the process, trust yourself, trust God if you're spiritual and and keep moving forward on the road, but kind of, I guess you have to regulate your own emotions around it and try to contain those things. And I bet that's hard for a parent if they see their child hurting to be able to kind of keep themselves out of it. Gosh, that would be so hard. I think, especially as a parent, because at one point, this person was fully dependent on you, right? Mm -hmm. It was your job to protect. It was your job to care. It was your job to tell them what to do. It was your job to remind them of how to take care of themselves. It was your job. It was your job. It was your job. And then now there's, as we shift into adulthood, there's been this, this shifting from they're fully dependent on me to now they're independent. And that is a hard enough shift to make. That when they come to you and they express something that's so painful, the the natural reaction is to go right back into that, oh, well, I need to take care of you. I need to protect you. I need to tell you what to do in order to help you feel better. And I just think, of course, a parent is going to shift there. Of course, there's going to be that moment of, well, let me just do all of the things for you. I work often with parents trying to support their loved one. And my biggest thing, the thing that I remind them over and over and over is all you're trying to do is reflect back to them, the good qualities that you know they have. That's just your job. You've watched them their whole lives. And your job now is to remind them of who they are. You're not going to tell them what to do. You're not going to advise them, swallow all of that, (laughs) take your advice to your safe person, be like, I just wish I could tell them all of these things. And instead reflect back with, well, you are so courageous. Remember when this and this and this happened? Gosh, you're one of the most courageous people I know. Oh, you are so strong. Remember when you were going through all of this? Man, oh, your intuition is spot on. Remember how you, and it might even be something like chose that college and it ended up being such a great experience. Just just reflecting back as a parent, 
you've already done all of the teaching. You've already done all of the instilling. Now it's just time to remind them they are and just reflect that to them. I'm so impressed with you. You're doing such a great job. You've got this. I've seen you go through this and this and this. You've got this. I'm here. Let me know what you need from me, but you've got this. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here too thinking as you're talking about that, Ashley, that some people don't have a close relationship with their parents or their family and there's sadness and grief around that too. Yeah. And, and sometimes you do go to your family and they prove they can't be that safe space for you. And that's why I think it's so valuable that we have so many great resources today in this time for support outside of your inner circle. There, there are support groups for both the betrayers and the betrayed partners. And there's a growing number of professionals that are trained to be sensitive to this topic. And I think that is so essential. Stephanie and I reinforce that a lot on here, but I have a client right now who has a therapist who's giving really bad advice because they're not trained in the sensitivity of partner betrayal yeah. and so really getting outside support from someone who is trained in this arena for both the bystanders and the ones that are in the thick of it is yeah. so crucial. And I think having bystanders is crucial. So if you happen to have a family that that isn't going to be safe or isn't supportive or for whatever reason you can't turn to them, find yourself people. Find mm -hmm. yourself some people to be your bystanders. I think possibly one of the hardest bystander roles, the parent bystander is really hard. But one of the hardest bystander roles can be a fellow person who's experienced it so that you might make a connection in the group or something because they've experienced it. So they know what's best. So if you find yourself in the bystander role for someone else, even if you've experienced it before, going back to that, we don't know their story. We don't know their lived experience. Even when my lived experience is similar, it's still their story. And so now I'm back into the bystander role and bystander role is just reflect and validate, reflect and validate. You're so amazing. Look what you can do. Your intuition spot on validate, validate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I, I think back to what I was saying earlier about the stories that you create. Sometimes you see them doing something that seems irrational to you. Like it just doesn't make sense. Maybe they make a whole shift in their life. It's not uncommon. I see it happen a lot of times. This becomes the catalyst for major change in someone's life. And that may not make sense to you. Like you might relocate, you might start a new job, you might quit a job, you might make major life decisions in the trail of this, that this became the catalyst to. And as a bystander, it might look crazy to you. It might look irrational to you. It might be something that doesn't make sense to you. And just know that you don't always understand what's happening in that person's inner world. And so if it doesn't make sense, it's okay. It's not your life. It's not your choice. I know it might impact you, but if it doesn't make sense, get curious about it. And if you actually want to be that sport, get curious about what's happening for them instead of believing the, in the first story that's coming up for you. Like maybe they're moving to a different town or a different place because they see opportunity or it feels safe or the affair partner lives across the street or you don't know. And so moving is the best thing for them. And maybe it looks to you like they're running from their support system when in actuality they're looking for safety or they're looking for a new opportunity for growth. 
And they're not actually running away from what you would perceive as their support system, but they're putting themselves in a place for an opportunity for growth and security and reestablishing things. Absolutely, Hallie. I have a client that I worked with. I She's the mom and she's watching her daughter and their partner navigate things. And for her, it made the most sense of daughter and and spouse come move in, be in my basement. Let me make sure that I'm here to take care of you. To her, that was the only option really of just let me come and and encompass you in this love, which maybe wouldn't have been harmful depending on your scenario. And so she was very sure that's what needed to happen. And instead, daughter and spouse chose to move somewhere else. And it threw her so much because she had no idea what was going on. Come do the safe option and watching them make this decision that didn't make sense to them was really hard for her. And my job as a therapist at that point, I just reminded her that she doesn't know exactly what you're saying, Hallie. She doesn't know what's happening inside that couple. She doesn't know what's happening with the relationship. She doesn't know what's happening with the affair partner. She doesn't know all of those things. And one thing we have to do as bystanders is trust that these people are making the best decisions they know how with the information that they have and that I don't have that information. So the best decision that they know how is going to look totally different than the best decision that I know how to make because I don't have all of the information that they have. And so I try really hard to remember or remind people to make the assumption that they're doing their best. That yeah. for whatever reason, whether it makes sense to me or not, they're doing this and it's the best. They are doing the best. And we're going to approach it from the assumption of this is the best for them rather than I know what's best for them. Such a great reminder. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit for a minute about how to best support the one who has acted out. And some things that you can do to support them in this, because our lens has so far kind of been about the betrayed partner, but we're talking about a coupleship here and both parties need support in different ways. So Stephanie, do you want to talk a little bit about what some of the things bystanders can do to support the one that's acted out? Yeah, I think it's really huge and very helpful for the one who has acted out to have that safe support. If they, again, I think it goes back, if they are entrusting you with their story, then you are that safe person. So coming in with um, some of the things that I like right off the top of my head that I was thinking of is encouraging them to seek professional support. So the best advice, if you're wanting to give advice, is to encourage them to seek professional support. So regardless of what you think their diagnoses may be, they need professional support to be able to support their betrayed partner and or break these unhealthy patterns that they have gotten caught up in. So that was the one I was thinking of. Another one is do not minimize their behavior. So oftentimes the, I call it like the buckets of behavior that come with sexual acting out. It's like the justification, blame shifting, minimization, all those other things are very much present in these early stages. And so they can kind of do that in their conversations with you as well. So don't minimize their behavior, maybe bring to awareness like, okay, well, what has happened is very hurtful and your partner is in a lot of pain and to not minimize and like take sides for justification. So those, I think that's very important, especially if they are still in that relationship, especially, and then also help with accountability. So what that looks like is, Hey, are you still seeking professional support? 
What's your sobriety like? Have you had any triggers or temptations that you would like to share with me? So like engaging in a conversation that's more authentic, because that's another thing in that bucket of behaviors. It's like, I will show up as this like fronted person of myself to avert authentic intimacy. So maybe digging a little deeper. I don't know. Those are like the first few things I was thinking of yeah. a really good supportive bystander. And then I also think of not shaming, like not going, oh my gosh, how could you do this? You're such a loser and not shaming because that they're already feeling that most of them, most of them are already feeling that they don't need it reinforced from an outsider who was hopefully they were going to have as a support person. So not shaming and at the same time, not minimizing, you know, and encouraging that professional support, professional support, professional support, because we don't understand all the ins and outs of what this is going to take to heal as just a lay person. I thought about, this is kind of a different take, but supporting them with supporting the betrayed partner. I think it's so easy to go, Oh, thanks for sharing this thing. And then now we never talk about it again Mm -hmm. or, Oh, thanks for sharing this thing. And you told her, right? Great. So glad you're able to move on but I don't know why it's taking her so long to trust you again. That a supportive bystander for the person who's done the betraying reminds them that they used their agency to do this. And it's no longer their agency that gets to dictate the timeline that the betrayed partner gets to dictate the timeline. The betrayed partner gets to use their agency to take as long as they need or to get the healing that they need and reminding our betrayer that they have to make their choices based on who they are as a person, not what their spouse is doing. So often when I'm working with men, I'll hear something to the effect of, well, I don't know what I can do. I've done everything. I'll never be good enough for her. And reminding this person that you're not making these changes for her. You are doing this for you because you want to be a good person you want to live within your values. You want to show up and be the person that you say you are. And that really has nothing to do with her. She's going through her own timeline of things, her own healing process, but you've just got to focus on you. How are you making sure that you are being the best person you can be? And what does that look like for you? Mm -hmm. Such good. Okay, Ashley, we're running out of time, but I want to give you the last word. And before we started, you were talking about some things you and your mom had discussed. She's not able to be here with us today, but some of the things that you and your mom have learned through this journey that you share in your Bystander Basics class. And I want to give you the last word to share some of that wisdom with our audience. Okay. I reached out to my mom. She's the original bystander. She and I created the bystander class together because when my healing had moved to a point that I was ready to reach back out and work on my relationship with her. We had some hard moments. (laughs) We realized that she had no support, that there wasn't anything for her. And so that's why we created this class. And so I reached out to her, our original bystander, and asked what would be your top five things that you would give to a bystander? What's your best advice for a bystander? And she said, number one, be a safe place for, she's talking from her experience. So she says daughter, right? Be a safe place for your daughter. What she means by safe place is someone who holds the experience and holds the emotion as sacred and doesn't go into the advice telling, let me tell you what to do and point fingers, just holds it with a, 
thank you for sharing. What do you need from me type of space? Number two was have a thick skin because she's going to do things and she's going through things that you do not understand. It's really easy to feel that disconnect or to watch her make choices that don't make sense and think that it's because she's mad at me. My mom spent a lot of time thinking that I was mad at her when in reality, I just didn't know what was happening in my life. So she says, have a thick skin. This isn't about you. Number three was pray. If you're spiritual, pray. If you're not spiritual, what she means by this prayer, I think is releasing yourself from being in charge of their well-being. That it's not your job. You're not their rescuer. You're not the savior. You're not the therapist. It's not your job. So the only thing you can really do is call on your higher power or connect your energy with the world that's going to be out there to help. Number three was laugh together. And I really liked this one because it's so easy for the person going through it. It is all consuming. And so it's always on your mind already. And it's so easy to allow that to be the only thing that your interactions are dictated by. You're talking about it all the time and it's just always here. And instead of doing that, allowing yourself to just engage in something frivolous, just go blow some bubbles in a park or play that favorite game that you always played or just find a reason to laugh because there's probably not a lot of laughter happening at the moment organically and laughter builds healing and connection. And then number five was be patient, be patient with yourself, be patient with your daughter, be patient with the circumstances. Nobody is going to do this the right way. It's not going to work. So don't hold yourself responsible for doing it the right way. Don't hold her responsible for doing it the right way. We're all going through this new experience. And so just patience. And then she sent me a paragraph. Her paragraph said, the best advice I could give to a bystander is continue moving forward with your own life focused on your own healing or focused on your Christ. You can't put your own life on hold while you rescue her. This is a long-term change in your life. Life is not going to go back to normal in a month or two. This is the new normal. And second, you can't rescue her. You can be a lifeboat though, but only if you are steady yourself. So steady yourself first and be a space that she can come home to. She can come back to, she can come feel a moment of breathing and peace to but let her make those decisions. Mm, Such great wisdom. I love that. That is words of, you can tell healing and a lot of work underneath there. So man, we could talk about this for a lot longer, I think, but I want to thank you, Ashley, for coming and sharing your wisdom. When does your next round of the bystanders basics start? Or is it kind of an ongoing thing? Um, I've turned bystander basics into a self-guided course. So you can start it whenever you're ready and work through it at your own pace. Right now I'm releasing one lesson per week, but once they've all been released, access them as you go. So okay. you can find that at rejoicerecovery.org. And if there are bystander basics that are looking for professional support, do you see that, that audience? Do you work with yeah. bystanders? Yep, I do. All right. Well, if you're looking for that support, we'll put Ashley's contact information in the show notes. Again, thank you so much. I hope that you find some value in this episode and maybe you have the opportunity to share it with your bystanders. And if you're the bystander, thanks so much for listening and for being open to seeking to understand what your loved one might be going through. And we hope you'll join us next week. 
Thank you for listening to the Choosing to Stay podcast. If you have enjoyed this show, we invite you to subscribe, share, and leave us a review. Connection, empathy, and growth. Choosing to Stay.